Hello, my name is Paddy Butler, and this podcast is brought to you from Liberia, a bookshop by Second Home. Now, if you've read Beetlebone, you'll know that my guest this time around is one of the most exciting writers working today. Delighted to have Kevin Barry on the Liberia podcast. And he did a beautiful, wonderful reading to kick it off. So that is coming up in a minute or two. But just wanted to round up a couple of brilliant reads that we've been looking at in Liberia. Uh, Rachel Kushner, The Mars Room. Now, I know I'm late to the, the party on this one, but it has come out in paperback quite recently and it is absolutely phenomenal. It's one of my favourite novels and I haven't even finished it. Her prose is just, it's electric, it's, it's mind-blowing, it's, it's magnetic. She's kind of part of what I would term a new punk fiction, a new dark brilliance, which includes other Liberia favourites such as Otessa Mashveg, Samantha Schweblin. Next is Robert McFarlane, Underland. Ten years in the writing, this is surely his magnum opus and it sparkles with learning, interweaving ideas of the underworld from the founding myths of Gilgamesh and ancient Greece with archaeology, geology, morphology, glaciology, nuclear science, poetry, etc, etc. Absolutely incredible stuff. And there's one beautiful chapter on starless rivers, so you can just imagine what that's like. And my last uh, recommendation this time around is Tragedy, The Greeks and Us by Simon Critchley. And he deploys his incredible learning to relate tragedy to our current deeply problematic times and defines it as the difficulty and uncertainty of action in a world defined by ambiguity. And the book explores the sophistication of understanding exhibited by Greek playwrights such as Euripides, as with his Medea, and Sophocles' Antigone. So yeah, amazing stuff from him, really rich, dense learning. And that's it. Um, so let's, let's go and catch up with Kevin Barry. Brilliant to have you on the Liberia podcast. Thanks um, very much, Paddy. Cheers. Nice um, awesome book, Night Boat to Tangier. Follow up, I suppose, to Beetlebone in, in, in many ways. But we'll talk about that in yeah. good time. Um, you're going to do a little bit of reading. Uh, I, I, I just, I just to give a flavour of the kind of tone or note of the book, I'll just read the first kind of half a page. Yeah. And see how we get on. So, chapter one The Girls and the Dogs at the Port of Algeciras in October 2018. Would you say there's any end in sight, Charlie? I'd say you nearly have an answer to that question already, Morris. Two Irishmen, sombre, in the dank light of the terminal, make gestures of long sufferance and woe. They are born to such gestures and offer them easily. It is night in the old Spanish port of Algeciras. Oh, and this is as awful a place as you could muster. You'd want the eyes sideways in your head. The ferry terminal has a haunted air, a sinister feeling. It reeks of tired bodies and dread. There are scraps of frayed posters, the missing. Customs announcements, the narco-trafficante. A blind man roils in night sweat and clicks his teeth to sell lottery tickets like a fat, rattling serpent. He's doing nothing for the place. The Irishmen look out, blithely, at the faces that pass by in a blur of the seven distractions, love, grief, pain, sentimentality, avarice, lust, and want of death. Want of death. Glorious. 
So you see, we're set, we're announcing our themes, <laughs> Paddy. <laughs> at, the, at the bottom of page one, we're kind of announcing yeah, our themes. I said, "This is what this shit is all going to be." And, about, and, it goes, yeah. and they they run right. Yeah. right they kind of do. And in a weird way, that's not something I, I deliberately set up with a line like that. With these are the themes at the start, but it yeah. just kind of naturally comes somewhere in the draft drafting process. You kind of figure out what the story is yourself, you know. Right. After a while, um, Morris and Charlie have been. Knocking on my head for a while. Have they? These two big characters, yeah. And you know what they can, like? I write lots of different kind of things. I write short stories and yeah. plays and screenplays yeah. and everything. And they kept trying to fucking shovel their way into everything. They would show up in a short story. These two kind yeah. of fading Cork City yeah. gangsters, or they yeah. would show up in a script, and the result was always the same. They'd immediately destroy it, you know, because they're they, very big, yeah, vivid they characters and yeah. they talk a lot. Um, they impose themselves. They do, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, 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 there's almost this magnetic field goes going between them that's made out of their talk and this tension that they have going on. Um, and eventually, I realised, oh bollocks, they're going to have to give them their own thing. You yeah, know, I'm going to have to write the Morris and Charlie platform. story and figure out who they are and how they got into these dreadful conditions we beat them in. You know. But why are they haunting you particularly? Is this? A, I mean, why not? Is does this go back to City of Bohang? Does this go back to Beetlebone? Um, I wouldn't say I have them in my head that long. I mean, I guess I, I'm blessed with a fluent imagination and that I come up with a lot of characters and a lot of stories and mm. a lot of situations. They're not always great, you know? Um, what distinguishes my better work? I think most of it I don't leave outside the house. I write reams of shit and that never mm. seems to lie today. Mm. But what elevates it are, are, are the characters that are really kind of vivacious or vital that I can really feel as kind of almost belligerent presences you know mm-hmm. um, like with Beetlebone I decided to go with the, the mad notion of doing a John Lennon book because I could really feel um, not him obviously but his presence of, of a character based on mm-hmm, him mm-hmm. Um, and, and when they feel like flesh and blood to you and when you can kind of do their voices at will mm-hmm. um you decide, okay, this is this is this, this is, is this is the one I have to, to, to follow. And a lot of characters you invent and they'll never really get going for you on the page. Often they're too close to yourself right. or something. Yeah. You know? It's when they take on their own kind of life, that's when you realise, okay, great, now I can be puppet master and play with this. Okay. You know? Yeah. Is there a sense of exercising those characters as well? Oh absolutely. Anything to yeah. get rid of them now. You're sick of the side of them. I'd well, say. you know, it's 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 like that with a writing idea. It was very much like that with the Beetlebone thing. Mm-hmm. I, I, I came across the notion of um, John Lennon having bought an island in real life off the coast of Ireland. Mad idea, yeah, in, in the late 60s. And um, it wouldn't let me alone, this notion, you know? Mm-hmm. And I tried to write it out of my head. It's like it's like having a wasp or a blue bottle trapped mm-hmm. inside your brain, just... The kernel just, of an just, idea. Just yeah. buzzing, yeah. you know? And... I tried to get rid of it because it was annoying me and I wrote a little radio essay about the actual story of John buying this island and it kept buzzing in the back of my brain. Then I alluded to it, John's Island, in a short story called Dark Lies the Island mm-hmm. for my second collection. thought that would surely mm-hmm. take care of it. Mm-hmm. you know. But it kept going. And then one day in, in the shed that I work on behind my house in, Sc- in Sligo, I found myself writing lines of dialogue for a man called John and I thought oh fuck I'm going to try this a lot of oh, bollocks like, <laughs> I knew it would be hard you know I knew it would yeah. be difficult from the start but yeah it's this kind of insistence that certain characters kind of lay on you and it's not always an altogether yeah. pleasant experience yeah, no, you know no, no. well I mean the, the amount of research that you did for Beetlebone as well going to the island and everything I, yeah I kind of I like to 
or Ackle was it Ackle you went to I, I was out around Ackle a lot and I went to his actual island and I did some primal screaming out there to see if it would sort me out and delighted to say I'm fixed it, it all worked I'm perfect <laughs> you've started but, something yeah. now you know but it's um, yeah I don't know it, I, I didn't I didn't it's important for me to keep a sense of play about the work and yeah. be doing kind of bad stuff with it yeah. I I, I, I sh- always tell myself yeah I should be having a good time I'm yeah. getting away with it yeah. you know I'm yeah. get, I don't have to go down a coal mine or dig the roads I'm really lucky I get to go yeah. into this shed and put on my music and light a fire and, and make up all this stuff so I should try and keep an element to play with it because it's, it's a very simple equation if I'm not having a good time at my end of the process beloved reader at the far end of the yeah. process sure isn't going to yeah, be having yeah, a good yeah, time yeah. either you know so yeah, I, yeah. I try to remember that it's um that making up stories and characters in a way it's a very childlike thing you know yeah, of and then to keep that element of kind of fantasy and play involved in it not to not to feel like it's a job i'm doing yeah okay so the just to go back to the haunting thing i'm going to tie it to yeah. this now for a little bit the there's there's a there's there's Beckett here. Mm. There's Joyce as well. I mean, the heaven tree of stars, home with yeah. humid, night, humid night blue fruit. Yeah. One of the most beautiful lines in... In Ulysses, yeah. In Ulysses. But you bookended at the end with one of amazing quality yourself. The stars appeared all at once, a canopy of stars clasped by tidy neutron bridges, each star an atom's core. I tell you, man, you, you picked out my favourite line. That's really I, it, Well, it's my by far line. my favourite yeah, line yeah. as well. I gave myself a you night off after that. <laughs> I'm sure you did. It's, it's glorious. That was one of those buffier fingernails. It's, it's, it's glorious. Well, I was pleased with that. But, but are, you, are you, I mean, are you, you're, you're, you are, there is a dialogue there with Joyce, is there? Is there well, mean, do you know what, people, and especially this is something that happens in, in America, I guess, people ask you about the, the, the tradition of Irish literature. And like the honest answer is that there are many. Okay. within it you know and yeah. there are I mean I think writers Irish writers but a lot of writers from everywhere in the, in, in the second half of the 20th century struggled with these two huge looming presences of, haunting. of, of Joyce and haunting presences of Joyce and, and, and Beckett and they were very contrary to each other their influences one of them put everything onto the page and then the other <laughs> Mr Beckett came along and very uh, assiduously took everything and back off the page again and writers kind of struggled about what direction to go I, 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 I also love that third way in Irish literature which is kind of more mischievous tradition that goes back through someone like Flann O'Brien yeah. and that goes back into you know Lawrence Stern mm-hmm. in, 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 in the 1700s where you're essentially taking the piss yeah. where you're kind of and, and you know I, I always think at some level I'm writing comedy mm-hmm. um, it, it, it tends to turn inky black in, in tone and it goes very dark but more often than not I'm, I'm, I have comic intention at least when I sit down to it regardless of what comes out at the far end but I'm trying yeah. to I'm trying to to, to to make some laughter in the dark, you know. Yes, yes, and the Irish psyche, the, the that kind yeah. of the, the history. The, let's let's actually pick on that because that's of interest to me, and this is a quality that I find in your work uh, particularly. There is 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 there a sense with you um, that maybe because Irish writers are a little bit more freer and maybe not bound, less bound, maybe. Yeah. Is there a case that this is because we didn't have an enlightenment? Like, we didn't have this pummeling, you know, reason, the, the idea of reason, that civilization. I mean, I, this yeah. is just a notion that I have, but... I, I mean, just... if you go back into something like 
um, the Irish, the oral tradition mm-hmm. in, in Irish literature, which I always think is a vaguely porno kind of ring to it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when you start talking yeah, yeah, about yeah, the yeah, oral yeah. tradition, but it's um, the fact is that people who can tell stories in Ireland have always been especially valued. You know, mm-hmm. as as fairly serious operators within yeah. the society, which was a kind of a, pe- a peasant feudal society. Yeah. So the only chance you had, really, if you were sort of a bit of a yeah. messer, was was to be a storyteller. And yes. and, and, and I mean that persi- persists at a very ordinary level in Irish life and in Irish families as well. Um, the elevated status afforded to the storyteller. I remember growing up as a kid in Ireland in the seventies and eighties, and there were very frequently electricity strikes. Yeah. and there would be blackouts and the candles would be out and the fire would be lit and we'd love it because all the yarns would start coming out right, you know yeah, yeah, all the yeah, stories yeah. would be told and the the really interesting thing is in Ireland it doesn't matter if the story's been told a thousand times before it's the quality of the rendition absolutely is what counts it's how yeah. well it's told how funny is he making it how how sinister how dark how is know? he embellishing and yeah and I guess you know it's 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 in fairness to us it's the one thing we're kind of world class at yeah. There's nothing else. It's no. not, not a kicking the ball, our operating systems of government or anything else, you know. No. But we turn out really fucking good writers all the time. Um, I also think there's kind of some sort of esoteric reasons for it about um, living on a small rock at the edge of that ocean, you know. There's a well, lot of atmospheric the, pressure going on. There is, you know? yeah, yeah. Um, People in the west of Ireland, they always think if you had to sum up their character in a single word, it's rattled, you know, because yeah, <laughs> right. there's this big malevolent force. And I know now living in the west of Ireland, like your, your mood is so dependent on what's happening off the Atlantic, yeah, you know, right. when that murk is coming in for days and then everyone is going around with their soul and their fucking boots, like... Yeah. Yeah, then it lifts yeah, it and yeah. clouds part of it. Yeah, oh, yeah. you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're, we're off again. And these things absolutely influence what comes out on the page because there's nothing, like there's nothing mysterious about literary style, about a prose style. It's a, it's merely a, a direct projection of your personality. Mm-hmm. Um, so, 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 th- and after a while in life, there's not much you can do about personality. You, you have just have to go with it yeah. on the page, re- really. And like my personality, I'm sure is influenced by where I live and the place around me and what's going on in the fields and the hills and yes, on the street corners yes. and on the kind of vibrations that they're giving off and and more than anything in the fact of that mad atmospheric oceanic pressure all the time uh, which is affecting our moods and are causing all sorts of creative swings and lurches uh, energy from the land the spirit oh, <laughs> we'd be here for the night now <laughs> if, you, if you sent me at the old John Moriarty bollocks we'd be here for the night you know um, no I'm, I'm, very, I'm very much tuned into that line of thinking I mentioned John Moriarty I should in a serious way the late uh, County Kerry philosopher um, who would talk in his beautiful and mellifluous Kerry accent about you know there are happy feels and there are sad feels places have their own energies and feelings right. and I believe that and I uh, I always find that my work tends to start with a place, every story mm. or novel or script. Yeah, whatever yeah, that's it's very the, important. The first thing you, is the place. Yeah. yeah. Like with Beetlebone, it was Clue Bay. Yeah. You know, before it was John Lennon, it was Clue Bay. It was just that kind of haunted, kind of melancholy feeling you get out there always. Right. Yeah. Uh, like when we moved to County Sligo, I started going out on my bike in, in what passes for an Irish summer. And I'd be cycling around Clue Bay. And, um, you know, I should have been in, in good form. You know, out on the bike for a few days in yeah. the summertime, and but every time I got around Clue Bay, I started thinking about people I'd lost, right. about, about kind of 
what Saul Bellay has called my significant dead, you know? Yeah. And I thought, what the fuck is going on with this place? Wow. <laughs> you know? And then, I, then it was the combination of, okay, and Lennon had an island out here. Right. And there was a fucker who was dead haunted, you know? And, and, yeah. and combining those, that's when you get a little click where two synapses kind of collide and of rub off each other and you have, you have the makings of a book. I don't know where I started with that. We started, we did start rolling off. But like, it's an, it, it, I mean... John Moriarty was where John we started. John Moriarty, yeah. yeah. Like, I mean that, or, or, yeah, I mean that, you, you've taken it in the direction that I wanted to go in the sense that there doesn't seem to be a, a tradition of philosophers per se within Ireland. There are writers mm. and they take or draw influence from many things, but... yeah. There seems to be, in particular with yourself, there. I, I, I view philosophy as a kind of maybe an aggressive sort of, I have to find this. Yeah. I have to yeah. find it. Yeah. This has to be uncovered. Yeah. Whereas, you know, if if, if there is a philosophy with yourself and, and you're writing, it's, it's drawing from the energy. It's drawing out. It's, it's allowing the, I think the energy so, yeah. of the landscape yeah. and the weather and the sea and the... Yeah. Allowing that the language to, to float off it is that a fair? I thing? think so. Yeah, I think I think that's right. I think the, the 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 direction you've described is 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 correct. Um, in in that the work comes from without in rather than within in mm-hmm. in, in lots of ways. Um, I, I I do think that um. The thing with with someone like Moriarty, there has been a tradition in Ireland of these kind of writer philosopher figures mm-hmm. who aren't quite one thing or the other yeah. you know and we're kind of just chancers really yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean um, but no we're like we are very you know in, in a good hour very thoughtful very very kind of serious minded people but it's um, I mean with me everything that I write everything goes back to really the Irish mode of speech and expression and, and talk and mm. Irish talk, and it's it's an endless it's an endless resource for a writer, yeah, well, you know. Yeah. Um, for you, what we're good at it, you know. But we we like the sounds of our own yeah, voices. Yeah, 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 we do. Um, we're mellifluous bastards. Um, but the the really interesting thing about Irish talk is that very often we 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 say very little. There's all these gales of conversation yeah, going on, yeah, but very often yeah, we're yeah. saying fuck all, like, There's and you're trying to figure out what's going it? on underneath the surface. Yeah. And that's where you find drama, and that's where you right. find stories. And trauma. Mind. And trauma. What's going on underneath the surface of the talk? And it's, um, you know, it can take you so long to figure out the meaning of an Irish conversation. It can take years to figure out what the <laughs> conversation meant. Um, but that's especially, I think, what I'm listening for altogether and what's not been said okay. um, when Irish people are talking to each other. Last thing, let's go back to Tangier. Um, Dilly, in a lot of ways, is well. I, I don't want to spoil it for for mm. readers, but there is she is trying to get away from yeah. a lot, and that is that. I mean, for me, a lot of this book is a commentary on modern Ireland being and yeah. gone sort of thing. Yeah. You know, late modern or, or like noughties yeah. modern Ireland being and gone. Yeah. Um, but it's also like redressing the whole awful generations of patriarchal domination all um, oh, right yeah did, for sure did yeah. you did you was there an intention there i mean i, I well it's I nice that, to... that that well the, the young girl in the book morris's daughter dilly is, is she's certainly a free spirit um mm. i've only started talking about the book last week to really in 
a lot of what I've been doing is explaining the concept of crusties to millennials. Oh, really? <laughs> because we're not quite aware <laughs> of dreadlocks and dogs <laughs> and ropes and what that meant. But essentially, the stories that Dilly has has, has run off to Spain with the crusties mm. or with the, with the hippies, um, and she is actually she I, I drew it a lot from my own memories of being a kind of a spacey eighteen mm. or nineteen year old. Mm very tuned into kind of oh, nature stuff yeah. and, yeah. And, and, uh, and lots of hallucinogens at the time and things like that going on as well but Dilly's a space cadet and she's deeply attuned to stuff and it was uh, I, I love to shift tone mm-hmm. in the course of a book and when we get to Dilly or when we get to our mother Cynthia I think the tone in the novel really changes um, yeah, interesting and, and, character. and, it, and it, it really kind of I like to kind of subvert readerly expectation you know because they're the they're, readers go they're, along in one particular way yeah. and thinking oh, they're bad the two characters they're bad they're bad like, they're, they're bad fuckers yeah they're they are. really like yeah. nasty and they, they, they merge into one and they, they break up. like off. I don't know exactly and it's nice to have some puzzlement mm-hmm. about your own characters I don't know exactly how violent or murderous they've been I don't know how Which much is, of this is gangster exactly, front but you, and kind of talk and kind of performance. You can hear but it But underneath all. there's something dark there oh, as well. Very there's dark. menace. Uh, well, they, they allow themselves to yeah. go mad. Well, let's not ruin it. But yeah. like they allow themselves to... You know, that's the other thing. You know, religion doesn't come into a lot of your work. Uh, but at the same time, it's kind of all over it, I'm it's sure. There. Yeah. It's there oh, in the God, background, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, all over it, I'm sure. I, I was in given a reading at, at an American university where they were looking at City of Bohan and this very learned professor started to talk about Catholic iconography in right. the novel and he wasn't wrong, you know what I mean? But it was all news to yeah. me at the same time. But you grow up in that yeah. and you're surrounded by that and yeah. it doesn't all disappear overnight, no. you know? Something that sustained your kind and people for hundreds of years. And actually one of the things that I love about Spain is it remi- the atmosphere reminds me of Ireland in the 70s and 80s. Yeah. There's still a heavy Catholic thing going on. It's crazy. That you don't have in yeah. Ireland now. You don't see little That's nuns right. around the place in Ireland That's right, yeah. like you do in Spain. And there's something, you know, for God, for all the ways it destroyed us and was a desperate thing for the country. There was something that was sustaining and beautiful there as well, for sure. Oh, and culturally, um, yeah. you know, I mean, so, I'm still fascinated by yeah. the history of Catholic Europe. There's, there's, there's also there, there's Catholic prose and there's Protestant prose. Yeah. Like we talked about Joyce and Beckett. Exactly. There, there you go. Yeah. yeah. Like Joyce's the stained glass windows and the goldy ornaments yeah, 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 yeah. and the glittering sexy yeah, Jesus yeah, yeah, yeah. up at the wall, you know. That, so Beckett is a lovely, austere Protestant chap. <laughs> now you've reminded me. It's in Algeciras yeah. that where they're stuck. That's the poor town, and yeah. that's the uh, Molly Bloom mentions that. Of course last, she does. Last yeah, page yeah, in that, Ulysses. But picking on that kind of coast uh, down there, the coast of Barbary, it's so storied. You can't go wrong. You know, yeah. in a place like that, there's so yeah. much. I was thinking a lot about, and people should look him up. Um, the great Irish filmmaker Bob Quinn, who I mentioned mm. in Beetlebone. That's right, you did, because he came over and made a film. He made a great series of films called Atlantean in the early 80s, and it's about the Hispanic influences on the west of Ireland. Oh, fascinating. Gone from hundreds of years back when that trade route, that was the main trade route for the west of Ireland, was down, not across to England, where the east of Ireland traded was. It was down. It was a great deal. We sent cows and butter and they sent brandy and wine and dope, you know, it worked out really nice. It was was a good trade, but it's... um, Really, really, that. really interesting filmmaker to look into. Mm. Um, they're qu- like in, in, in their form, they look quite dated, I guess, but there's still really interesting content in them. Right. I think you can buy them on Bob's Bob's website, Bob Quinn Filmmaker. Look him up, he's, he's something else. Brilliant. 
All right. Uh, Kevin Barry, thank you so much for coming on to the Liberia podcast. Pleasure, Paddy. Thanks, man. And um, fantastic new book. Cheers. Thank you. Brilliant. Well, I think that was one of the funniest podcasts I've had the pleasure of doing. Um, yeah, put, put two Irish lads in a room and get them to talk about stuff and that's what you get. And I think Kevin really nailed it there when he said that the Irish conversations involve a lot, but it's very hard to know what in the hell we're talking about, um, especially when a pub is involved and, and some Guinness. As ever, do check out uh, our full cultural program listings on secondhome.io and sign up for the Liberia newsletter as well. See you next time.